Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark. Today, looking at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 through Mark chapter 5 and verse 20. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you to our opening team, Dave and Vicki and Becky and Bruce, just for drawing us back to the, the throne of grace, reminding us who we are and who we belong to. What an amazing God we have. This morning we're going to be continuing on in our study of the gospel according to Mark. And we're going to be looking this morning at chapter 4, verses 35 through chapter 5, verses 20. And the two accounts that we're going to look at are Jesus stilling the sea and Jesus curing a demon-possessed man. A while back, uh, I provided the introduction to this gospel. And I noted that I'd found a, a quick overview of it from the Bible Project, and you can find it uh, in other places as well. And it noted, though, that the Gospel of Mark is like a drama divided into three acts. The first, place takes, the first takes place in Galilee, and people are blown away, wondering who this Jesus is. The third place, the third act, takes place nearby and in Jerusalem. And here we see that Jesus is the Messianic King. And the second act, obviously between the first and the third, is on the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, where Jesus is helping his disciples understand who he is, why he came, and what it means to be his follower. And so we're still in the first act, we're still in Galilee, where people are amazed at who Jesus is, and they're trying to figure out, though, who is he really? So again, this morning we'll look at two miracles. And in the first miracle, where he stills the sea, we'll see that Jesus demonstrates his power over nature. And in the other one, where he deals with the demon-possessed man, or the evil spirit, Jesus shows his power over spirits. And so, in the Gospel, Mark is showing us how the kingdom of heaven has come in the person of Jesus. He has control, he has authority, he has power over the whole world and all aspects of it. So just uh, in terms of where we are this morning, or let's see, hold this thing out like that. Hey. So... I don't have power over this, though. <laughs> so, so what you see essentially on this map is roughly the area of Galilee, kind of in that top corner over there. We've got Upper Galilee, Lower Galilee, 
Galilee. And over here, we have the area known as the Decapolis. And so the, the first part of Mark is all up in this area of Galilee, in that area. Whoops. Sorry. You, you can, sometimes you can teach these guys new tricks and sometimes you can't. So, so Jesus is right now around the Sea of Galilee, working in the Sea of Galilee. And while we don't know where all the events took place that are in the gospel and just in other gospels, we've got an idea where, rough idea where some of these things are. So, for example, uh, earlier on, we were told that you know, Jesus was accused of blasphemy. Um, or he was accused of getting rid, getting rid of demons by the power of Satan himself. And he said, no, that's blasphemy. That's the unforgivable sin. Uh, his mothers and his brothers came out to seek him. And those were in Capernaum, which is kind of... Hey. Oh. Okay, so right around here. But but in this that general vicinity. Uh, two weeks ago, Phil talked about four parables. That Jesus talked about four parables. And those, we're not sure exactly where, but probably on that, the west side, on, on the right-hand side of the Sea of Galilee somewhere. And then this morning, we'll have them crossing the Sea of Galilee for the first miracle. And the second one is just in this region, not working, uh, in the Gadarenes. And we're not sure exactly if it's in Gadara, Gergesa, um, and the Bible doesn't tell us exactly where, but it says in that, that region. So that's kind of where we are today. So before we get into this, let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we just pause and just marvel that a holy, a perfect, an all-loving, an awesome God such as you created and loves one such as us. And we thank you, Father, for the word that was made flesh, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would just guide us as we open your word this morning. That we would learn from it and draw closer to you through it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, just the passages, if you don't, haven't uh, seen me up here before. Most of the passages I'll be using will be up on the screen. And I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 version. On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid 
and said to one another, one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So, why did the disciples cross the lake? Because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Why did Jesus cross the lake? To get to the other side, no? You know, speculation on my part, and we'll see this as we get into the, the text a bit more. I believe that Jesus did this because it was an opportunity for him to display his power, to go and ensure that people heard about him, uh, even in a region that we're going to see wasn't, was not at all friendly to him. But no matter where it is, Jesus reaches out to people and gives people the opportunity to just know who he is and to know him personally. So the disciples take Jesus, just as he was, into the boat. And while this account of him calming the sea is also found in Matthew and Luke, the gospel according to Mark is the only one who notes there are other boats. So it seems that those who had access to a boat were determined to stay close to Jesus. Now the Sea of Galilee was known to be dangerous. The squalls could come up very quickly. And while they're crossing, a furious squall comes up and the waves are coming over the side of the boat and it's going to sink. At least from a human perspective, it's going to sink. And the disciples are paying attention to the weather and the water in the boat. Jesus, however is sleeping. Even the Son of Man must have felt the stress of all the people always crowding around him, always wanting to touch him, always wanting healing, wanting things from him. And I think that the stress of going about his father's work just got him and he needed to rest. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we're stressed And then you hit a point where you just crash and you fall asleep. It doesn't matter where you are, but you need to rest. Perhaps the water was calm when they started, and that gentle rocking put Jesus to sleep. However, his sleep was ended by the disciples' fear of drowning. Jesus initiated this crossing, and they're going to die for following him. And he's sound asleep. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Do you sense a little frustration in them? Like, Jesus, did you bring us out here to kill us and have us drown in the sea? I'm not sure my reaction would be any different, though, if I was in that boat. And what does Jesus do? He gets up and he rebukes the wind and he tells the sea to hush and to be still. And everything is calm. I think Jesus might have been a little disappointed with his disciples at that point. Maybe even to the point of being annoyed with them. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, why are you scared of the waves? Don't you realize who I am? Do you not believe that I have power over all things? The disciples didn't know what to make of this. We're told that they became very much afraid after he said this. 
and wondered who he was, that even the wind and the waves obey him. So it was one thing to follow a teacher who taught differently from others, and Jesus did. It's to follow a teacher who taught with authority as Jesus did. It was another thing to realize that your teacher actually had authority over the wind and the waves. When Jesus asked why they didn't trust him, they became very much afraid. I think the word terrified might be a better word. As they started to grasp his true nature. As we see here and elsewhere in the Bible, fear and faith are opposites for the believer. They're mutually exclusive. One's going to win out over the other. So let's look at our next miracle. The demon-possessed man being cured. Again, here we see Jesus demonstrating his power over evil spirits. They came to the other side of the sea, into the region of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, not even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. Although there were, as I mentioned, although there were various towns on the other side of the lake, we aren't told if this miracle was in a specific one. Uh, we're only took, told it took place in the region of the Gerasenes. So again, just that east side of the map. A man with an impure spirit comes from the tomb to meet Jesus. Oh boy, here comes a stranger with some bunch of people following him. Have we got a greeting for him? And the human solution to this man's problem, or man's issue, was to tie or chain him up, remove him and hide him away from polite society. Maybe they figured if they see no evil, if they speak no evil, I'm sure they could still hear him, so they had to probably hear a bit of it. Uh, it wouldn't exist anymore. Problem solved. Right? But chains couldn't hold this guy. He tore them apart and he broke the shackles on his feet. Unfortunately for him, the chains and the isolation seemed to cause the evil spirit to take things out on the man himself. Seeing Jesus from a distance he ran up and bowed before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do you have with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had already been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. The unclean spirit clearly wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And he refers to Jesus as Son of the Most High God which apparently was a term used by some Gentiles. For some, that term, Most High God, might have simply put God at the top of the list of all other gods. He was the most high of a bunch. I would go out on a limb, however, and suggest that this reference to the Son of the Most High God is a recognition that Jesus is God. 
You may recall that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and the spirits the spirits ascended on Jesus like a dove. And the voice said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. We worship a triune God. And as we sung, Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. To me, it's interesting to note that the, Jesus, the demons knew who Jesus was and they were fearful of him. Yet most people didn't know who Jesus was. We saw this on three other occasions earlier in this gospel where the demons recognized who Jesus was. For example, when Jesus healed a man with an unclean spirit in chapter 1, 21 to 27. In chapter 1, 34, where Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons, but he didn't allow them to speak because they knew who he was. And in chapter 3, verse 11 to 12, when unclean spirits saw him and shouted that he was the Son of God. We can't be too hard on these people, though, can we? Jesus doesn't assert that he's the Messiah, nor does he say this in the first section of the Gospel. And you may recall that I had referred to this as the Messianic secret when we looked at an overview of the Gospel. Who is this man? In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19, we read, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. They know that God is the ultimate authority, but they're not interested in being his disciples. They're not interested in being conformed to his image. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now there was a large herd of pigs feeding nearby on a mountain. And the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Now, Jesus asking for his name would have been synonymous with saying, What is your nature? In other words, what is the nature of the demons in him? He knew the answer. I think he was asking, though, so others would know it and realize the significance of this situation. So this man wasn't dealing with one demon, two demons. We aren't told how many there actually were. Suffice to say that there were a lot, hence the name Legion. In military terms, a legion could have had as many as 6,000 people, although I'm not sure there were that many. There were a lot. So this man was in serious trouble. He couldn't do anything on his own. He was completely under Satan's control. And legion pleads with Jesus not to be sent out of the area and then to be allowed to enter into the herd of pigs. And he allows the ladder, at which point the pigs rush down and they're drowned. One possible reason for Jesus allowing them to enter the pigs 
was to show the onlookers that there were a multitude of demons from which the man was now released. Another possible reason was to protect the man from harm when the demons left him. So that when they left, nothing would happen to him, so to speak. And what happens then? The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the countryside. And then people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had previously had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described it, sorry, those who had seen it described to them how it had been or how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the pigs. And they began to beg him to leave their region. So, those tending the pigs, the herders, herdsmen, ran away and they went and told others what had happened. So, think of it, their livelihood had just crashed. And they needed to tell the owners of the pigs what had happened. You're not going to believe this. But you remember that big herd of pigs that you paid us to look after? Well, um, well, they all ran down a cliff and then they drowned. But hey, it wasn't our fault. Like, it was that guy Jesus over there. And you don't believe us? Go check it out for yourselves. Right? They're in trouble. And I would venture a guess that the, the owners of the pigs didn't buy this story. And so they went to check it out for themselves. When they realized that the herdsmen were telling the truth about the one legion referred to as the son of the Most High God and how the pigs died, they too became frightened. So fear took over. The people were so afraid that they pleaded with Jesus to go away. They may have seen Jesus as a dangerous dangerous magician who would harm others or the broader public good. Perhaps they realized that he was indeed the son of the Most High God and just weren't willing to accept and follow him. So Jesus grants their request. The next account we read about Jesus is that he crossed back over to the other side. Mark doesn't record any other work that Jesus did in that area. They got what they asked for. Now, a few weeks back, David Hook reminded us when he was speaking, he took us back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and reminded us that humans were made in God's image and were to be a reflection of his glory. However, this reflection has been distorted and twisted and needs to be restored. Last week, Ron Paget noted during a discipleship workshop that being in God's image also means that we're built for connection. In other words, we're built to be in a relationship, one with God. Now, Legion clearly had control over this man and prevented him from being the person that God created him to be, prevented him from reflecting God's glory. Then Jesus rid some of the evil spirits and the man is restored. And as he, as Jesus, was getting into the boat, 
The man who had been demon-possessed was begging him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him go, but said to him, Go home to your people and report to them, report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So unlike the herdsman who begged Jesus to leave, this man begged to go with Jesus. He was probably surprised by the answer, though. Now, earlier on in the Gospel, Jesus healed a man of leprosy in chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. And when he did, he told him to say nothing about, any, about Jesus to anyone. Now here, Jesus tells a man to go home and tell the people about what the Lord did for him. Jesus wasn't welcome there anymore. So he was having this man go out and spread the good news. Even though he couldn't physically be with Jesus, this man had become a disciple. At least I believe so. He experienced God's grace, God's mercy, and was cleansed from the demons through God's power. He was restored and was now able to reflect God's glory. Jesus was now the center of his life. And while we're, we're not told how things worked out, I'm willing to guess that he spent the rest of his life praising God. It probably wasn't easy because he was in a region where people didn't want anything to do with Jesus. So why does all this matter to us so many years later? Both the disciples and the herdsmen were afraid terrified when they realized that Jesus had control over the wind and the demons, respectively. The disciples' response was and is to stay with Jesus. They were still trying to figure out just who Jesus was and stayed with them. I guess they had to for a little while. They were still in the boat. And then later, Jesus returned to the other side. So I don't think they wanted to stay on the other side of the lake by themselves. The herdsmen and those they talked to didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They begged him to leave, and he did. Great example of why we should be careful what we ask for. They were now without Jesus, without the life he came to bring, without any true hope for the future. Jesus is the one who gives living hope, and without Jesus, there's no hope, there's no real future. Of course, we have the man whom Jesus restored, the man whose life was totally under the control of the demons. We might think it was easier for him, right? He had nothing, and then Jesus comes and frees him from legion. He must have been disappointed, though, when Jesus told him that he couldn't go with him. It must have been challenging for him to go back and just keep proclaiming what Jesus did for him in a region that was opposed I do believe he followed through, though, on what he was asked to do. It would be easy for us to look at these stories and question the disciples, the herdsmen. And remember, the latter were just, had just become unemployed when the pigs were drowned. I would ask, though, how do we, or how have we, reacted to challenging situations or trials in our own lives? The human solution to dealing with the man controlled by evil spirits 
was to chain him up and isolate him. That didn't fix the problem, though, did it? We sometimes try to deal with issues by burying ourselves in things other than God. It might be through the use of drugs, alcohol, sex. It could be an obsession with work or so-called hobby. It might result in anger or depression, among other things. These things, again, though, don't fix the problem. Because they don't get to the root cause. You need to get to the root cause. And these so-called fixes might even result in behaviors that make it seem like a demon's in control over a person. They're just symptoms that something's not quite right. Something's missing. And the solution is found in God's goodness and love. We're built for connection, for a relationship with God. When we're in crisis mode, when we're in the eye of the storm, are feeling oppressed and can't do anything, and we can't see our way past the next hour or day, we can't see how the end can come out okay. Do we have that confidence? Or where is that confidence? That quiet assurance and that comfort that God is still in control. When we get to the end of the, our rope, God always seems to show that, you know what? I'm there. It's going to be okay. Even when we don't always see it ourselves. Speaking from experience. As we sung, For my Savior loves me so, and he will hold me fast. Can we say, as Paul puts it in Romans 8 and 28, and I think at times it's a very tough verse. Comes to we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We don't always see it, but deep down inside, I trust we all know it. We should seek to be ever closer to him, to let him lead and trust enough to follow wherever he leads, even when we can't see the full picture. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's one thing to profess belief in Jesus. The next step is to demonstrate we truly believe by living in faith, by trusting and following. And in doing so, we'll be able to reflect God's glory to others. At this point, I'd invite our musicians back up for a closing song. In Christ alone, my hope and I trust your hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Excuse me. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. I trust that we'll all seek to draw even closer, ever closer to the, our Lord, the holy, the perfect, the awesome God who created us, who loves us, 
and who gave his life for us. Bruce, would you just uh, close in prayer after this last song, please? Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we just submit ourselves to your authority. At times, Lord, we feel like we're boats floating in the rough sea, and our first response is to be afraid, to be fearful. And we thank you, Lord, that you are so patient with our, at times, faithlessness and our lack of faith and trust. But through those moments, Lord, you teach us, and you guide us, and you bring us along, and you show us that you are, in fact, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains life, the one who holds all things together. As we part today, help us, Lord, to take these lessons of life with us. Help us, Lord, to exercise our faith. Help us to have dominance over our fear. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Lord, in our humbleness before you, reach out and just grasp you, Jesus, and help us, Lord, to live for you. We praise you. We love you. We worship you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.